Glad you're here and uh, looking forward to opening the Scriptures together. I want to do something just before we uh, study the Bible together, and that is I want to recognize those of you who are involved in the education system. So if you are uh, a teacher or a staff member in, in one of our public schools or our private schools, Christian schools in the area, or a homeschool parent, I would like to ask you to stand so we can recognize you. I'd like to have a word of prayer to dedicate you in this school year to the Lord. I'm assuming a few of you are standing. I can't quite. Ah, oh, there you are. Very good. Thank you so much for your uh, willingness to serve the Lord in a very important mission field. We entrust our children to your care, and uh, so we're really grateful for your willingness to serve. And uh, I want to pray a prayer of dedication over you. Father in heaven, I thank you for these who stand here uh, amongst us, who have committed themselves uh, not just occupationally, but uh, as a part of their ministry to serve you in education. We, uh, our kids spend a lot of hours throughout the school year involved in education, and I pray that you were, your hand of blessing would be on these folks, that you would give them great influence, uh, not only in our school systems and in our uh, private schools, our Christian schools, and even within our homes, but I pray, Lord, that they would have incredible influence on the lives of our children and young people, that, that you would, by your Spirit, give them grace and strength uh, in circumstances and situations that are sometimes difficult, ministering sometimes to children who come from very, very difficult backgrounds, and sometimes their teacher is the only real sense of stability they have, and so I'm just, I'm grateful for these folks, and and uh, pray that your blessing would rest on them as they approach this new school year, for I ask in Christ's name, amen. Thank you so much. Uh, we're grateful. Well, summer, with, uh, on that note, is basically over, right? Now, I hate that. I am a summer lover. I love the long days. I don't care if it's hot. I love that it's bright and sunshiny, and uh, I love summer. And... Uh, but fall is here, and for some of you, that's great. Football season has already started. We're underway. The NFL is, in addition to the, the kickoff here at Yorktown and the official kickoff at Gloucester, I hear the NFL is also kicking off next Sunday officially, and uh, it's, it's going to be busy. But uh, lots of fall stuff is here, including pumpkin spice everything. I heard someone on the phone the other day, hey, had my first PSL. I thought, what in the world? I mean, I like Starbucks too, but I didn't know that a pumpkin spice latte had its own abbreviation and acronym. And I'm just waiting for like pumpkin spice toothpaste or something. I don't know what'll be next, but everything is pumpkin spice. And some of you really love that, so that's a good thing. But uh, fall is here, and that also means that the, the, the uh, difference and the change of pace of summer is, is pretty much over. We're back to, to kind of life as normal, right? That also means that all of the ministries at Coastal are ramping up again. Uh, we, are, we are getting in gear for the fall. We talked already about the, the kickoff on Wednesday night for our 
uh, young people, and uh, just everything's happening. The involvement gallery is going strong. You can get out there and get information about everything that you need to. Uh, next year, we'll, next week, will be the ministry fair, uh, an opportunity for you to get connected and serving, invested in a ministry here at Coastal, which we really would love for you to be part of. Our fall small group season is starting soon, which is going to be connected to a series of messages that I am really excited about. It's been on uh, Pastor Sean's heart all this year. He's been talking and, and praying about this. Uh, it's a series on evangelism that we're going to study for eight weeks, not just to make you feel bad if you don't evangelize, but to, to challenge you, remind you of the scriptural foundation for it, to give you some tools and handles, and, and we're just praying that God's going to use it to, to generate a great harvest uh, at Coastal. So I hope you're looking forward to that. All sorts of good stuff going on. And if you're, <clears throat> excuse me, if you're staying on top of what's going on at our Gloucester campus next week is our kickoff there officially. I love Heaven Marty in my services when I preach. <laughs> I'm going to have to hire him to come to Gloucester once a month. But um, we, we've, been, we've been holding services since February, and we're full. So we've got to go to two services starting next week, which is just really a great, uh, it's a great reason for excitement. And you know, I mean, you, you know, if you've been around Coastal for a while, you know we are not about getting bigger. That's what, we don't make plans to get bigger. We make plans to spread the gospel, and God does whatever God wants to do about size, but we're sure grateful for more people to influence for the cause of Christ, right? So, so fall is here. It's an exciting time. It also means we're coming to the conclusion of our summer sermon series. I hope you have stuck with this throughout the summer in this study in Colossians. We're going to be in chapter 4 this morning. We've got just today and next week, and we're done with Colossians. Uh, if you've missed some weeks because of the summer and being in and out, we, they're all online. You can, you can watch the videos from here. You can listen to the audio from Gloucester. You can, you can keep up and uh, go back and retrace your steps, but we have gone deep. We've talked about the sufficiency, the identity of Christ, His sufficiency, His supremacy above all things. And in the recent few weeks, we've been really starting to kind of take that and say, now, what are we going to do with that? Because we don't just want to, to fill minds with knowledge. We want to see lives transformed. And, and Paul did the same thing in the Holy Spirit as he inspired this Scripture. Uh, took Paul at the end to say, now here's what we're going to do with this. And the same thing is true today. We're going to be in chapter 4 just for a few verses, starting in verse 2. And uh, we're, we're going to talk about how to best impact your sphere of influence. Uh, I hope you're thinking about that as we get back into what, what we may call our routine of the fall. I hope you're thinking about how am I going to impact my sphere of influence? We all have a circle of influence. We all have people that we are most likely to connect with, be that your family or your extended family or the people you work with, uh, your neighbors. There are people in your life that you are situated most effectively to influence for the cause of Christ. Today, we're going to talk about how do you do that most effectively? What are the things you've got to pay attention to? And i got to be honest with you, it's not rocket science. A lot of this stuff you will have heard before, but it's such an important reminder. And when you connect it 
to the supremacy of who Jesus Christ is and his sufficiency in our lives to do everything we need to do, this takes on a new freedom for me. And uh, so I, I hope you'll go with me on it. Three things that I believe will help you most effectively impact your circle of influence for Christ. The first is prayer. Verses 2 through 4 of Colossians chapter 4 say this, Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us, that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the ministry of Christ, on account of which I am in prison that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. How should we pray? That's verse 2. How do we pray? First of all, we're to pray with persistence. Continue steadfastly in prayer. I want to read a story for you from Luke chapter 18. It's a story that Jesus told to illustrate this idea that we ought to always pray and not lose heart, not give up. Some of you have prayed for some things for a long time, and you are maybe even right now tempted to say, you know what, maybe God's just not going to do anything about this one. I want to encourage you to pray with persistence. Luke 18, he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, in a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. The Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. There are two contrasts in that quick story that Jesus told his disciples. One is between that unjust, unrighteous judge and God. The unrighteous judge left his door shut, said, don't bother me, tried to ignore this poor widow who needed justice. And finally, after she, he knew she was just going to pester him until he gave in, he finally said, fine, I'll just give it to her and then she'll shut up. There's a contrast set up in that story between that unrighteous judge and God. The unrighteous judge didn't want to hear it, didn't want to listen, kept putting her off, finally gave in because he couldn't come up with any better option for her to be quiet. God, on the other hand, readily wants to respond to our prayers. He wants to hear us. There's a great contrast between this unrighteous judge and God. Unfortunately, there's also a contrast in that story between that poor widow woman and me, maybe you, because she was not going to give up asking until she got what she was requesting. She was convinced of the need of what she was asking for, and she was not going to stop until she got her answer. We give up way too easily. We get tired way too easily. 
So we're to pray steadfastly, and we're to be watchful. We're to pray with vigilance, spiritual alertness. There are two things about this that strike me, and both of them come from stories in the Bible. The first is from Mark chapter 14. Just prior to the occasion when Jesus was to undergo the trial and the the beating and the crucifixion and his death and burial and resurrection, just prior to that, and after the Last Supper that they had together, he took them to the Garden of Gethsemane to pray. That seems like a pretty important time to pray. So they go out there, and Jesus says, you guys hang out right here uh, for a little bit. I'm going to go over here and pray. And he does, and he prays, and he pours his heart out. He's sweating great drops of blood. He's in incredible agony and torment as he pours out his heart to God, and he comes back, and the disciples are sleeping. And he wakes them up, and he says, guys, couldn't you pray with me just for an hour? And so he goes again, and he prays some more, and he comes back, and he finds him sleeping again. And he goes away one more time, and he prays, and he comes back, and he finds him sleeping a third time on the same evening. They were not alert spiritually. Now, among other things, if you want a really super simple lesson from that, don't pray when you're tired. Pray when you're wide awake. I mean, honestly, how many times do, have I had people say to me, you know, I try to pray, but I just, my prayer time is at night when I'm getting ready to go to bed. And so you climb in, you pull the covers up, and you start to pray. Well, we all know how effective that prayer time is going to be. Now, if you wake up in the middle of the night and you can't sleep, well, then pray. That's always a great time to pray. But pray when you're wide awake. Set your alarm. I, I have a, an alarm, my little prayer app, every morning at 10 o'clock. If for some reason I have not had my prayer time by then, I get a, it ding right in the middle of whatever I'm doing, and it just simply says, is it time to pray? And in my mind, I always go, well, you know what? It is. <laughs> I, do whatever you need to do to begin to discipline yourself to be spiritually alert so that you will pray with vigilance. And c- Can we please pray as though it really matters, not just as though it's something we're supposed to do? One of my my favorite stories, because it's, it's sad and funny, all at the same time, is in Acts chapter 12. And again, I'm not going to go there. I'm going to just talk you through it. It is... uh, What has happened in that account, just prior to that, is Herod has taken James, the brother of John, and he's killed him. And the religious leaders of the day were like, yes, get rid of these guys. They are causing way too much trouble. And so he arrested Peter, and he put him in prison intending to do the same thing. But by the time he arrested Peter, it was a week of religious celebration. And while we want to kill all these Christians and get rid of them, we don't want to do it during a holy week. That's not a very good thing. So we're going to put it off. We'll kill him next week. So, so he does that, and Peter's in prison, just hanging out, waiting for his turn to die. And they're having a prayer meeting at the home of John Mark, who would eventually begin to travel with Barnabas uh, and Saul. But uh, his mom's home became a place where they were having prayer meetings from time to time. And they were having one the night before Peter was to be executed. 
Now, I realize I'm kind of reading into it a little bit, but I got to assume that at least one of the things on their list was probably Peter, right? I mean, it's the night before he's to be executed. I mean, were they just praying, Lord, give him grace so when he dies, he'll die with courage? Or did anybody think to pray, Lord, would you please just release him from prison so he can keep on preaching? Regardless, if, if somebody prayed that, that makes the story even worse or better. But uh, middle of the night, an angel shows up in Peter's cell. And Pope kicks him in the side or strikes him somehow in the side, maybe with his wing, I don't know. But he, anyway, so Peter's kind of jarred awake, and there stands an angel. Now, Peter thinks it's a vision. Probably we would think the same thing. Oh, I'm dreaming. There's an angel in my room. But this was not a dream. And so the angel says, come on, get up, and the chains fall off, and he walks him out, and the door to his cell opens up, and the next gate opens up, and then he gets the gate onto the street. Right outside the prison opens up. He stands there with Peter, and then the angel disappears, and Peter shakes off the groggies and thinks, that was real. So instinctively, he goes to the house of John Mark, where they are praying, because he thought, well, the people meet here to pray all the time. They'll let me in. So he shows up at the gate, and he says, he's got to be a little quiet, because he's still supposed to die tomorrow. And this little servant gal comes to the door, and hello, Rhoda, it's Peter, let me in. She goes nuts, which is why I suspect it's a teenage girl. I'll probably get in trouble for that. But she, wah, it's Peter. And she runs inside, busts into the prayer meeting. Peter's outside. No, that can't be Peter. He's in prison. Are they praying for Peter or not? No, really, I just talked to him. Oh, it must be his ghost. They must have already killed him. He's just, that's his spirit. I'm telling you, it's Peter, and she doesn't let up, and, you know, she's disturbing prayer meeting. You you know, you don't want to interrupt people in their prayers to tell them their prayers got answered, but anyway, (laughs) so they go to the door, and they open it up, and there's Peter, and they're stunned. Why are they so stunned? Why are we so shocked when God answers our prayers? Can we do it recognizing it's not just an exercise, but that God somehow in the mystery of his sovereignty uses our prayers to accomplish his will? We've got people in our church committed to a prayer ministry They meet together regularly. They meet together on Saturday evenings and on Sunday evenings here at Yorktown out in our prayer chapel. They meet together up at our Gloucester campus on Thursday mornings. Our staff meets every Tuesday morning at 9 o'clock, and we pray together. The staff at Gloucester meets on Wednesdays. There are other times throughout the week that there are meetings of people who come together to pray. Because we believe that God uses the prayers of his people to accomplish his will. It's not just something we do. I want to challenge you to believe that when you are praying, it is part of the work that God wants to do through you to reach your circle of influence.
Are you praying for those people that you get to influence? Nobody else can influence them like you can. God has put you where you are. I hope you're praying for them. And we do it with thanksgiving, according to the end of verse 2. We do it anticipating that God's going to answer. So that's how we pray. What do we pray for? You know, I wonder if, if I were in prison and writing back to Coastal and saying, hey, listen, could you guys pray for a few things? If at least on the list, if not at the top of the list, wouldn't be, would you pray that I'd get out of here? Because I got more work to do. I'm really interested that Paul's prayer simply says at the same time, verse 3, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I'm in prison. He doesn't pray to be released from prison. He prays for doors of opportunity for the gospel while he's in prison. I got all these guys standing here watching me and they can't go anywhere. Pray for my captive audience. I'm not the captive, they are. Would you pray for doors of opportunity? Listen, I wanna, I wanna challenge you to do the same thing. Pray for doors of opportunity to be opened in your circle of influence. If you're in the school system, if you work at the shipyard, if you work at Ferguson, if you work wherever you are, if you're in the military, if you're, if you're at home and you have influence with your kids, wherever it is that your circle of influence is, pray for doors of opportunity to open. Pray for doors of opportunity for Coastal, for your church family. Our only desire is to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ as far and wide as we possibly can. Pray for doors of opportunity to open. Pray that, if you want to pray something specific, pray about that for our campus in Gloucester. We, we want to reach the Middle Peninsula for Christ. Fifty-some thousand people live on the other side of the river within reach of Coastal Community Church Gloucester. Many of them need Jesus, and we're doing everything we can think of to make sure they get a chance to hear the gospel. Pray for doors of opportunity to be open. And verse 4, he says, pray that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. So pray for open doors, pray for open mouths. When the opportunity comes, pray that God will give you grace to recognize the opportunity and open your mouth and tell them about the gospel. Whoever came up with the idea that I'm just going to live my life and let them see my testimony and think that that's sufficient to lead people to Christ, it's not. At some point in time, you've got to say something. Pray for open mouths. Pray that I might make it clear, Paul says. So prayer. Prayer is the first thing. And I think it's first because it's most important. It was said, I read years ago, there's a lot for you to do after you pray, but there's nothing else for you to do until you pray. It's vital, and it's hard work, right? Talked with someone after the first service. It's, it's hard work to pray. It takes discipline to develop a habit of prayer, to develop a spirit of prayerfulness. It's a discipline worth developing. Second thing, is in verse 5. It's our lifestyle. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of time. 
That's a very familiar verse of Scripture. We need to learn to walk in wisdom toward outsiders. If you're afraid that I'm going to give you a list of ways you're supposed to behave, don't worry. I don't think it is a list of rules to follow that's going to influence our friends for Christ. It's the way we walk with wisdom as we relate to them. Here are what several people have said that I really like. Act so that the way you live will attract, impress, and convict non-Christians and give the pagan community a favorable impression of the gospel. You know, in the early church, people liked the Christians. Now, they were persecuted by some, by the religious authorities, but they began to have favor. God began to give them favor with the people. I think we need to learn to live in wisdom so that the gospel will be seen with favor because of the lives of the people who profess it. Be cautious and tactful so as to avoid needlessly antagonizing or alienating our pagan neighbors. You know, we should include our Facebook posts in this, right? I don't even want to start talking about that. Please do not disadvantage your words by the goofiness of your Facebook posts. Oh, look at that. That person's logic is so solid and watertight, I think I'm going to change my whole way of viewing things just because of that Facebook post. Said no one ever. <laughs> Nobody cares about your opinion about politics on Facebook. Nobody changes their opinion. All you're doing is ranting and raving for, for no benefit. Connect with your friends, tell them what you did on vacation, tell them how cool your dogs are or your new kitty or just, can Facebook just be Facebook please and not, you're not gonna win somebody to Christ on Facebook, I'm sorry. You can sow seeds for the gospel, you can, you can talk about what Christ is doing, but it's not the place to argue people into the kingdom of heaven. Okay. The reputation of the gospel is bound up with the behavior of those who claim to have experienced its saving power. There ought to be something about my life that makes my unchurched and unbelieving friends say, there's something different about that guy. Don't be your friend's excuse for not coming to the gospel. I know it's an excuse. People say, oh, I'm not coming to that church. There's a bunch of hypocrites in there. I mean, my usual response is, well, come join us. You'll fit right in. <laughs> but uh, because they're right. I mean, we're hypocrites, right? I mean, I preach on prayer, and I'm still working on prayer. I've been a Christian for decades, and I'm still working at my prayer life. I mean, we're all hypocrites in one status of change or another in conforming ourselves to the image of Christ. That's so they're right. So don't deny it. Oh, no, no, we're not hypocrites. You're a liar now. So, uh, but don't be an excuse. Don't, don't give fodder to your unbelieving friends to say, well, I'm, I, don't, I don't want to be a Christian. I had a friend of mine saying that about a particular church in town, not, not ours, thankfully, but Oh, I know a lot of people who go to that church, and they're, they're one thing on Sunday, and all the rest of the week, they're no different than me. 
That should not be true. In the cooking world, many years ago, when I was first married, I worked as a cook in a catering facility. And uh, I learned quickly from the bosses, people eat with their eyes before they eat with their mouths. So you got to make it look nice. So just for kicks, the next time you go to a restaurant, peek under the top layer and see what everything looks like because they put the ugly stuff under there because it's got to look nice so you'll want to eat it and we say oh taste and see that the Lord is good and then we fuss and complain and we rant and rave on Facebook or wherever and we slack off at work or we treat our spouse or our kids badly and we wonder why people aren't coming in droves to respond to our message of the love of Christ Our lifestyle is vitally important, and we need to learn to use the, make the best use of our time. It's a marketing term, buying up opportunities. Some of you play the stock market, so to speak. You watch and you look for this, and you buy low, and you sell high, or you buy high. What do you do? I don't know. Anyway, you do what you're supposed to do to make money, and you, make it, you take marketing opportunities. You buy at the right time. You sell at the right time. That's what this is talking about. You're buying up. You're looking for opportunities to take advantage of them. Paul had just said, pray for open doors of opportunity. Now he's saying, take advantage of them. Buy up the opportunities when they come. Are you, are you thinking of opportunities that you've missed as I talk about that? Every time I talk about that concept, I think... Over, over years, there are things that stand out in my mind and I, I get away from a situation, look back and say, oh man, I wish I had said this. I wish I had responded that way. And I missed an opportunity. Let's pray for opportunities and let's determine that we will watch for opportunities so that we can reach our circle of influence. So prayer and our lifestyle and lastly, our speech. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Gracious and seasoned well. It just means pleasant, attractive, charming. Back to the food illustration. Why is it sometimes so hard to eat healthy food? Because some of it tastes horrible. <laughs> Nowadays, shredded wheat is all doctored up and prettied up, and they paint frosting on it and put sugar on it, and it's little and bite-sized. How many of you remember the old shredded wheat? I mean the man's shredded wheat, right? It looked like a, a, a piece of... I don't know, like a tool, you know, like you sand with it or something. And it honestly, didn't it taste like what you would imagine the inside of a scarecrow to taste like? <laughs> it was horrible. I know, somebody's going to come to me afterwards, oh, no, I love shredded wheat. Well, you're crazy, I'm sorry. <laughs> the gospel is inherently offensive. 
When someone comes face to face with the concept that they're a sinner and separated from God, and if they die physically in that state, they will be forever separated from God in hell, that is an inherently offensive message, right? Let's not make it worse by being offensive in the way we convey difficult information. Let's not add to the difficulty of the message by being abrasive and harsh when we talk to people. And can we also not make it difficult by making it boring? How is it we can be so excited about our our puppy or our grandchildren or our new car or whatever it is and we're we're enthused and we're at least smiling when we're talking about it and there's something we're almost having to contain ourselves and then we talk about the gospel and it's like we've got to drum up something to get people to know that we actually believe this and it happens it happens to public speakers i in my early teen years our family used to go on vacation up into the Adirondack Mountains to a church that my dad pastored and the, uh, when his first pastorate and I was born there and we'd go back every year for a couple of weeks of vacation they had a missionary home and so we'd go and we could stay for free for a week or two and so we did and of course felt at least a little bit obliged to go to the church since they were giving us two free weeks of vacation so we'd show up and we'd go to church and, and their, their pastor, bless his heart this does sound like such a southern thing to say, bless his heart. <laughs> he was absolutely the most, the driest, most boring public speaker I've ever heard in my life. And I've heard a few, none of them at Coastal. <laughs> but I remember one particular occasion, we were at church, and he was as enthused as he could get, and he leaned over his pulpit one day and he said, folks, I'm excited. <laughs> and as a young teenager, I mean, I was a visitor at the church, so of course I would never do that. But I wanted to stand up and say, no, you're not. Or if you are, could you at least let your face know? <laughs> when I love somebody, when I talk about my wife, I don't say, so dude, let me, let, me, uh, let, me, let me tell you about my wife. If I'm going to talk about my wife, she means something to me. And I'm going to say, hey, listen, man, I've got to tell you about this lady, I'm, my wife. I mean, she is something else. I'm not, I know some people are a little, a little more calm in their personality. I know that uh, some people are a little more sedate. That's okay, that's fine. Still, we know when you're excited about something. We know when you really love something that you're talking about. That's all I'm saying. If we really love Christ, if we really love the gospel, can we let it out a little bit? Let's let people know through our speech, through our gracious, well-seasoned speech, that this is really important to us so that you may know how you ought to answer every person, each person. Not everybody needs to hear it the same way. What will really bother somebody will just be 
pointed to another person and they will love your directness. So you've got to learn how to talk. Jude, the, the letter to Jude in the 22nd and 23rd verse says this, have mercy on those who doubt, save others by snatching them out of the fire, to others show mercy with fear. We learn how to season our speech in every situation in just such a way as to allow it to have the greatest impact. The gospel says what? Everyone is a sinner and separated from God. Because God loved us so much, he sent his one and only son. God the son came to earth, lived the perfect life that I would never be able to live. He died on the cross in my place. He was buried. He came back to life on the third day, conquering death in the grave. And if I will simply come to God, acknowledge that I'm a sinner, separated from him, and trust, receive Christ, trust in the person and work of Jesus as my only hope of salvation. In that instant, God transfers me from death to life, makes me his child, right? It's, it's as simple as that. I, I recently found what I think is the best method for evangelism. Uh, and I've, I've heard a lot of them over the years, and as we get into our evangelism series, I think at various times we're each going to be sharing kind of how do we go about sharing the gospel with somebody, each of our teaching team. But here's, here's one, and I shared this with our small group leaders just recently. I love this, and keep this in mind, because this is how you spread the gospel. You win a friend, you be a friend. No, you make a friend, you be a friend, and you win a friend. Make relationships, build relationships with people, be their friend, be in their life, be present. And at some point in time, as they're sharing with you the things that are important to them, you'll start sharing the things that are important to you, and one of those things is Jesus. One of the things that's most important to you is your life as you walk with Christ and what the gospel has done to transform you. And guess what? If you're talking to a friend about what's important to you, your friend will listen. Make a friend, be a friend, win a friend. People are not projects for us to take care of. People are not tasks to get accomplished. People are not objectives. People are people. We love them. We love them as friends. We live with them as friends. We share Christ with them because Christ is important to us, and that's what you do with friends is share what's important to you. It's so desperately important in the age in which we live that we learn to communicate the gospel in a way that is it's confrontational by nature. Build relationships with people. So let me give you a couple of thoughts to take with you. Number one, how's your prayer life? It requires work and discipline. It's easy to talk about prayer. It's not so easy to pray. So come here this evening. What time is it? Five o'clock? Five o'clock this evening in the prayer chapel. You don't even have to pray. Listen, I have been here with this team and listen, and there have been people in the room that haven't prayed. Just sit and listen. You can pray in your spirit along with them as they pray. Come on Saturday evening. Come Thursday morning to Gloucester. But beyond prayer meetings, how's your prayer life? Are you developing the discipline and the practice of prayer? 
God uses your prayers. I know it's hard to imagine. We don't understand. I just don't see how, how God can do that. But he does in the mystery of his sovereignty. How's your prayer life? Does your lifestyle make Jesus look inviting? People were attracted to Jesus, the most confrontational figure in history. And people came to him in droves because they were attracted to him. Do your words reflect well on Christ as you invite your friends to join you in walking with him? Is your speech gracious and well-seasoned? Oh, I hope it is. Listen, the worship team's going to come back and get ready for uh, our closing song, but as they do, I want to I want to invite you to, uh, number one, if you're here, I went through and shared what the gospel is. If you've never responded, if that transaction between you and God has never happened, I want to ask you on your way out today, stop by our prayer chapel. It's out here, the big circular window with the cross on it. Just outside the double doors is our prayer chapel. There will be people waiting there. Just come in and tell them, listen, I, gotta talk. I need to talk to you about the gospel, what that preacher was talking about. They will, they will be thrilled to sit down and talk with you and show you from the scriptures how you can know your sins are forgiven and you're on your way to heaven. Come down here. I'll be hanging out down here. We want to be able to do that, so please take care of that. But if you just need to talk to somebody, need to, need to spend a little time praying, I, somebody came to me after the first service. We stopped in the aisle and just stood there and prayed together. It's, it's, it's what we want to do. Don't leave here without doing what you need to do, okay? Um, Drop off that Connect card as you leave. If you've got a, a request for prayer that you want to put in there, our prayer team gets those. If you want it to go to the entire prayer team, they'll have them by tomorrow. Uh, so if you've got prayer, you want something prayed for, that it's what we're here to do. But listen, let's go out looking for opportunities. Can we do that this week? Let's begin to watch. Let's pray for opportunities, open doors, and pray for open mouths, and let's, let's take the opportunities when they come and see what God will do to a surrendered life willing to live for him and reach your circle of influence for Christ. Father in heaven, thanks so much for the, the scriptures and the challenge of the word of God. I pray that you would take us from this place uh, challenged to do differently, not, not to follow a list, but just to walk, to lean into you, to walk with Christ and to influence the people around us, to to make friends and be good friends and to win our friends for Jesus. Thank you for what you're going to do through Coastal and through my brothers and sisters that are sitting here this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.